Welcome in Sunday morning edition of the Back and Forth podcast. A day late, but that's because we had some scheduling errors come up. But nonetheless, you get us on a Sunday morning compared to a Saturday morning last week. I'm your host, Stat Matt, a.k.a. Matt Raftery. Join alongside, as always, by my co-host, Joey G. You can find the show on Twitter at BackForthPod, Instagram at BackForthPodcast. Lots to get to today um, on this episode. We've got the NFL draft that's wrapped up. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights season is wrapped up, mercifully so. And um, the NBA playoffs is still in full swing. Let's start with the biggest event of them all, though, that being the NFL draft here in Las Vegas, nonetheless. Overall thoughts on how the draft went? Uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the year of uh, the quarterbacks uh, as it usually is or how it's been for the past few years. The first only one quarterback was taken in the first round, not till the 20th pick, which was to Matt's uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, Kenny Pickett. Yeah. Which, you know, Malik Willis was right there. And um, I still believe he's the best QB in the draft. And um, I get taking Kenny Pickett. Pitts, he went to Pitt. You know, it, it all makes sense to take him to go to Pittsburgh. Uh, but – you know, I feel like Malik Willis would also have been a great fit there, and I still think the ten. I I believe the Tennessee Titans got a real steal. Uh, I think they got him in the third round. Um, you saw Carson Strong, who we've talked about a lot of times on this podcast. <clears throat> UNR quarterback um, that went undrafted, uh, but his teammate Romeo uh, Dobbs. Mm-hmm. I'm saying his last name. It's either Dobbs or Dubs. Um, went to the Green Bay Packers. And I think that's one of the steals of the draft as well. He's a great wide receiver. Um, even throw UNLV out of the equation when they played UNLV. Every time I watched UNR play, uh, this guy was just so separated from his defender every single time. And he had multiple 200-yard games, it seemed like, uh, throughout the season. Um, a lot of Mount West. There's a lot of talent in Mount West football, and they don't seem to get a lot of love. And I think he's one of them. Um, so I think Green Bay, will he be a Devontae Adams? I don't know. But losing Devontae Adams and now putting him into the uh, to the puzzle there in Green Bay, I think he's going to do uh, a great job. He's going to have a really a really strong rookie season. I think he gets at least 500 yards in his rookie year. Um, I think he'll only continue to grow. Um, and hey, the last the last receiver Green Bay took out of the Mount West worked really well for them. It was Devontae Adams uh, out of Fresno State. So we'll see how. Um, Romeo works out for them, but I think that's another great steal or another great pick of the draft. You see the Raiders taking two running backs this in this year's draft, uh, the big one being out of Georgia's Amir White. Um, and a little, why that's a little more significant is the Raiders are declining to pick up Josh Jacobs' fifth-year option in this contract, so he may be a free agent after this season going into uh, uh, 2023 free agency. Why the Raiders are doing that, God only knows. I mean, this team did blow up their offensive line for no reason last season. Um, so looking at Josh Jacobs, they may see they've got to pay Waller or they, they've paid Carr. Waller's going to get paid, and then Devontae Adams just got paid, so they're probably trying to find ways to save money. And they're like, well, running backs are probably the most easy re- easily replaceable positions, I think, in football. Um, so they're like, we'll get rid of Jacobs, but nothing less. I think Jacobs, get, if he gets the right amount of touches, he's a top five running back in the NFL. So um, I don't think he'll be as easily replaceable just of how productive he can be. I don't feel like um, John Gruden fully took advantage of Josh Jacobs, and I don't feel like 
uh, Richard Passaccia, even though he did a great job as an interim head coach last season, I don't feel like he really took full advantage of Josh Jacobs. I mean, even in that playoff game with the Bengals, every time Jacobs got the ball, it seemed like he made a big play, yet we're watching Derek Carr throw the football at his teammates' helmets or at his or at their shins because, you know, his passes, I think he had one of the most inaccurate, inaccurate days that day, uh, especially down the stretch there on that last drive. I mean, there was first and goal on the six-yard line, and then they didn't, we didn't get a touchdown to that because Derek Carr was – you know, throwing the ball to Bengals fans in the third row. So um, he has Devontae Adams, though, this year. So no excuses this year for Derek Carr. But I think it was an overall really good draft. You saw the Cowboys screw up as usual. Um, you saw the Ste- – uh, not the Steelers, the Patriots take the Chattanooga offensive lineman at the 29th pick who was supposed to be available in the fourth round. Uh, they take him at 29, and then you saw – Sean McVay and all those guys make fun of him, which, okay, Sean McVay, let's let's settle down, buddy. This is why I hate L.A. teams because they, they, they have a good year and then it's like they have this little cocky attitude. For one, you're not the most po- – you are, you know, you're not even the most popular team in L.A. It, it, it goes Raiders, Cowboys, and then they're like, I guess we'll root for the Rams because yeah. they're, they're doing good. But, you, you know, you're not, you're not the most popular team in L.A. Um and if I do recall, Bill Belichick did kick your ass in Super Bowl, what, 50, what was it this year, 55? Yeah. So what, 52, 53? Something like that, yeah. A few years ago in Atlanta, uh, Bill Belichick kicked your ass, and I think he's won about five times more uh, Super Bowl or six times more Super Bowls than you have. So um, that's a discussion for another day, though. So I, it, it, it was a pretty good draft, and you saw – the occasional shocking picks um, and you saw players drop and you saw a lot of players that you thought would go get drafted it go undrafted like uh, Carson Strong I uh, was there day three and the command the Washington commanders were on the clock they needed a quarterback and I really thought they were going to take strong in the it was either the fourth or fifth round there and they took uh, Hal out of uh, North Carolina which is also a, a, a good pick, but again, it, it kind of just shows a lot of Mount West players don't get a lot of love. And Carson Strong didn't even have that bad of a year. This was a guy who was rumored to be a first overall pick um, and just completely fell off the face of the earth for some reason. Not sure why. Um, I don't know if he had bad workouts or I don't know if he had a bad combine, but uh, now he's going to have a training camp, I think, with the Eagles. So we'll see how that works out. But the Eagles pretty much have a set quarterback. Um, I would really like to see, even though he went to UNR, I'd really like to see uh, him go to a, a, a team where he has a, a real shot at earning the starting job, and I don't feel like that's going to be in Philly, So unless Jalen Hurts just has a really bad year. Um, or he'll have a bad game and Eagles ownership will overreact and they'll put in Carson Strong like they usually do. So um, It was a fun event to have in Vegas. Um, I hope it comes back to Vegas soon. And over 100,000 people, I think, day one. So once again, Vegas proves that they can host these kind of events. Uh, the red carpet across the Bellagio Fallons. Um, it, it was really cool. It was really me, – me and Matt say it all the time, but five years ago, um, you know, the biggest event that probably ran through Vegas was sports-wise was either the UFC or the Pac-12 championships, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and now to be able to say – this year, being able to attend the Pro Bowl and um, uh, the NFL draft here in Vegas, uh, it's still pretty surreal. And still even seeing Allegiant Stadium on the 215 or um, the fact that we'll be hosting an actual NCAA tournament game, the fact that we'll be hosting a Super Bowl 
in two years, or less than two years actually, we'll be hosting a college football national championship. F1 racing is coming to Las Vegas. So it's it's really cool to see all these events uh, uh, come here. But, um, you know, it still feels a little bit surreal. And it was really cool seeing the draft and all the interactive things they had there. Um, but a really good weekend in Las Vegas. And uh, if the NFL was smart, uh, they would definitely bring this back in, in a couple years. That, they should do what the NBA does. The NBA draft is, seems like it's permanent in Brooklyn. They should make the NFL draft permanent in Las Vegas. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know if the, if the NFL will ever do that, though, because they, they, won't. they always like this rotating system. Like, they yeah. do it with the Super Bowl. They do Which it. is cool because, you know, it gives other cities the chance, and the NBA really – but Doesn't I mean, come on! Who wants to see the draft in Cleveland? Yeah, like, uh, yeah, we'll wait. Um, I, I'm I'm not even sure Cleveland people are raising their hands for that one. By the way, they're just like, yeah, draft's okay. Well, it's like who wants the or Detroit? Like, yeah, who wants to like if you're trying to get a, people or as many people to come? Like, no one's gonna want to come out to Cleveland or or, no. or Detroit for um, uh, the the NFL draft at least. Like, if it was a Super Bowl, people are gonna come wherever because it's a Super Bowl. But the NFL draft, like, but if you say Vegas or you put, like, Miami or something like that, then you're going to get people's curiosity a little bit because they're like, okay, well, I have an excuse to go to this city or this city now. Yeah, and I think there was a lot of people um, making excuses to come to Vegas for the draft this weekend nonetheless. But on the draft, I mean, when it comes to the Steelers, it's about it's about damn time. They took a quarterback. They were about four years too late on it. Or at least um, take one in the first or second or first or second round. Yeah, uh, but I guess hey, better late than never. Uh, I think taking him in the first round, Kenny Pickett. I think it shows you exactly what the Steelers think of Mitchell Trubisky and just how unsure they are. Because typically, when you take a guy in the first round, especially a quarterback, there's a pretty good chance he could play fairly right away. I mean, maybe not week one, but maybe in year one at some point. Um, I, I don't hate the move personally. I'm not the biggest Mitch Trubisky fan either. So, you know, if Mitch is stinking up the joint four or five games in, yeah, you'd probably throw in Kenny Pickett, see what he can do. Um, I think also taking Kenny Pickett shows exactly why they didn't want to take a chance on Jimmy Garoppolo. I say that because Kenny Pickett can play in cold weather. If you look at Jimmy Garoppolo's track record, it's not very great in the cold. He plays pretty good in warm weather, but if you look at his numbers, he always typically doesn't play that well when it's gets when the weather is colder. You know, you you go to these places like Green Bay and Foxborough and Pittsburgh late in the year. That's where you start seeing the San Francisco 49ers start running a lot more. They start closing down the passing um, portions of their playbook because they knew Jimmy Garoppolo just wasn't that great of a passer, particularly in the cold. Another reason I don't, I think that the Steelers just said, you know what, we'll pass on Jimmy Garoppolo. We need a guy that can make throws in December and January. A guy like Kenny Pickett, I think can. And, you know, geography obviously helps. Um, it was not a very long journey for Kenny Pickett to go from Pitt to the Steelers. Uh, quite frankly, just a walk across the hallway and he's there. But... It's uh, like UNLV's coaching search for basketball, their <laughs> nationwide search. Went down the hallway and knocked on Kevin Kruger's door. Yeah. <laughs> you interested? All right, cool. Cool, job's yours. Um, but no, I, I think it's it's good to bring in a guy like Kenny Pickett so that if if nothing else, maybe it uh, reminds Mitch Trubisky that, you know, that job isn't in fact safe, that, you know, you have to essentially 
Um, you're not just going to walk in and become the week one starter, essentially. So I- I'm interested to see what that quarterback race looks like. It wouldn't shock me if either guy started week one. And um, I think that, uh, you know, Pittsburgh has always done pretty well when it comes to drafting quarterbacks and finding head coaches. That's like their niche, if you will. Um, so if history holds true, maybe Pittsburgh found themselves a gem in the first round. But looking now at the Raiders, like you mentioned, I I get why they didn't want to pick up Josh Jacobs' option. I get it because if you look at the season as a whole, Jacobs was pretty underwhelming. Yeah. But if you look at the back half of the season and like the last, I don't know, three or four games in particular, Josh Jacobs was pretty good. Like he was phenomenal against the Chargers in week 18 of the regular season. And he played really well in, against Cincinnati to keep the Raiders within the game. Now, what that option would have looked like money, money-wise, money I don't know, it's probably $7, 8000000 million, something like that. So maybe they're trying to save cap space. It wouldn't shock me, especially bringing in a guy like Devontae Adams, who just recently got paid, as Joey mentioned. You've got a car that's just recently extended. Um, so you, you've extended some guys. You brought some high ticket guys in um, on the salary Chandler cap. Chandler Jones, yeah, Chandler Jones. So um, the the Raiders are trying. I think trying to, if nothing else, find ways to save cap space, and they can bring in guys, especially because when would, when did they draft their first running back? Was it third round? Fourth. Fourth round. So their first pick of um, day two. So you're you're basically bringing in a guy in the fourth round that. Um, isn't going to be very expensive at all, um, especially when it comes to in terms of rookie deals. You know, you start getting into the fourth, fifth, sixth round. Then the guys start becoming cheaper. Um, they don't have to pay them as much. Sometimes they don't even make the roster. Yeah. Um, inevitably, I think the Raiders are going to probably end up cutting one of the running backs they cut, they picked just because you. that's already a pretty crowded running back room to, as it is with Josh Jacobs. King and Drake's probably coming back off of injury. Now you've added you add in you know two other guys. Plus, I think they picked up a guy in free agency as well. Um, was it Bolden? I think they picked up in free agency. Yep. So, I mean, that's already four or five running backs. Somebody's going to have to go. Maybe even two guys are going to have to go. I don't know. It depends on how the Raiders want to approach things on offense. But um, interesting though that they pick up two running backs. Um, typically, you don't see teams in the draft pick up two of the same position outside of maybe offensive linemen if they're really hurting, which is honestly the direction I thought they might go. Uh, Because the old saying is, if you ever need an offensive or a defensive lineman, you can pretty much find them in any round. Um, They're pretty widely available, and it's a position and area that I thought the Raiders were hurting at more more so than running back at, Off, to be quite defensive clear. line no but offensive line yeah yeah I mean but they went out and drafted a couple D linemen so <laughs> they they proved that narrative they're like well we we're going to find the defensive lineman yeah well it's um, offensive linemen we need Josh uh, yeah, play both yeah it's about the same position yeah, anyway we'll just right flip them. um and and then I did think that was kind of odd with the Patriots um for one, I didn't think they were going to pick in the first round. I thought they were going to typical Belichick it, trade out of the first round, acquire all these picks later on in the in the draft, and take God knows who from God knows where. Right. Um, but they decided to do that in the first round. 
Yeah. Uh, with a guy that I think, ironically enough, his last name is Strange. So Yeah, Cole uh, Strange, right? Yeah. So <laughs> it was very strange to for the Patriots to pick them up. Um, I, I did see the clip of McVay uh, saying, oh, I thought he was going to be available at 104. And, yeah. Well, um, I don't know. But, Sean, you might want to be worried when the Patriots are picking people because more often than not, they've had pretty good success with draft picks. So, um, and, and I mean, but let's be honest, like your team's already got enough issues going on in the offseason. You've got guys retiring. You've got OBJ leaking out news that, um, you know, Debo Samuel might be on the way. Like, yeah, no, I, I think the Rams have quite the amount of problems to deal with. Um, they don't need to be worried about what old six-time champ Bill Belichick's doing. So you look at the draft, I think, as a whole, and one guy that I I really thought and really hoped he would get drafted, I thought he deserved at least a chance with somebody, is Charles Williams. Um, Granted, it would have been drafted later on in the draft, probably the last one or two rounds, but Charles Williams is still a guy that was the leading rusher here at UNLV all time. He's... Are, he's easily a top five rusher all time in the Mountain West. Uh, the guy, I mean, the only thing, knock you could probably put on Charles Williams is he's not the biggest guy size-wise. So, I don't know, maybe that plays against him. But I, I think a guy that, if you're a team that likes speed backs and you like guys that can get out to the edge and really create separation, Charles Williams is a guy that does that well. And he's not afraid... If he finds a hole, he's more likely than not going to take it to the house. And he's a guy that is just a pure running back for that matter. He he just runs hard and, you know, he's a guy that plays obviously with a lot of heart. And, you know, maybe that maybe the fact that he's undersized and he went to UNLV probably played against him. Um, but nonetheless, I would have liked to see at least a team give him a shot, maybe on a training camp roster. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh might. Um, you know that wouldn't shock me because then they could. They well, gave him the tryout, so they've got. And if he made the roster, I mean, it would be a kind of a nice compliment to Najee Harris. Najee's more of a power back; he's going to get you between the tackles. Yeah, they could use Charles Williams out on the edge if they wanted to have a a different type of back to help complement Najee. I don't know. Um, Williams could be used how the um. The Raiders have been using uh, Jalen Richard the past few years. Yeah, a good. I uh, feel like that's the kind of career Charles Williams can have in the NFL. Yeah, a good. Maybe you bring him in on third downs or whatever. Um, or a Lance. I don't know if people remember from Dallas, a Lance Dunbar. Yeah, he comes in every, you know, maybe once a series or whatever. And um, maybe you use him in special packages like a Wildcat or something like that. Right. Um, I don't know. It could be interesting. But. I'm also kind of surprised that, Car- like you said, Carson Strong didn't get drafted and didn't have very many injuries this year at all, I don't think. He didn't play all that bad this year, mm-hmm. and um, it leads me to wonder what happened if he just had a bad combine, if he didn't interview very well. Um, something must have drastically happened to Carson Strong between the end of the season and now to where a lot of teams, you know, kind of got turned off by Carson Strong. Um, and, and I guess that, it had to be interviews and workouts. Yeah. He probably... Because Romeo Dubs got drafted. And yeah. I mean, if you think Romeo... I mean, Romeo Dubs, 
he was a wide receiver for Carson Strong. So you'd imagine that, you know, in a league where at any given time, six to eight teams are probably going to need a quarterback that not one wants to take a stab at Carson Strong. Yeah, I, I, I think something either happened in workouts, maybe an interview, he didn't interview very well, maybe a bad combine, I don't know. But definitely weird to not hear Carson Strong come off the board. Um, but, I mean, overall, I, I'm not mad at the NFL for having the draft here in Vegas. I thought it was a really well-done show. Um, it looked like that they took a lot of their ideas from 2020 and just kind of moved them over to 2022. Um, that pink carpet, if you will, red or pink, I think it was more so pink carpet than anything. But Knee injury by Carson Straw, by the way. Okay, so he suffered a knee injury. That that probably played a big part then. Um, that makes sense. But, I mean, you look at the plans, you know, they had the pink carpet stage of the Bellagio Fountains planned out for 2020. They copied that over to 2022. Um, they had the bigger stage over at the convention area. Um, so I think a lot of their plans, um, it was easier for the NFL to come back to Vegas in 2022 because a lot of 2020's plans just kind of carried over here to 2022. And there, you didn't really have to really in, reinvent the wheel, if you will, if you're Vegas. You didn't have to, you know, scrap everything from 2020 and then, you know, recreate a whole draft scene for 2022. And it still brought out a lot of people. I mean, you know, you walk around the strip, you know, whether it was on Thursday or Friday, um, even properties that were pretty far away from the draft festivities were still fairly, you know, crowded with people. And you could tell that they had been to the draft. Like, you know, I, th- I was over at MGM on Thursday and, you know, MGM is probably a good mile and a half from the Bellagio Fountains and probably even further from where the main draft stage was. And there were still quite a bit of people, um, you know, just hanging out and watching the draft and all that from even from the MGM, which is, you know, right up there with the Mandalay Bay as far as being like on the edge of uh, the strip, if you will. But I, I think it brought a lot of people in. It brought a lot of revenue in. And um, I don't know how many more hints Vegas needs to send to the NBA to show that they can support a NBA team because that seems to be the missing link when it comes to Vegas and professional sports. I mean, they, they, Vegas has hosted just about everything else, including a Super Bowl coming up. Well, we've, we still get the Summer League in USA Basketball, which is pretty much NBA. But, yeah, Adam Silver, I don't know, I don't know what more that man needs to see uh, an NBA team here in Vegas, but apparently he... Ne- ne- next we'll have to host the Olympics or something. Yeah, and then I think maybe. that's what he wants. He's like, get the Super Bowl. And then they're like, okay. The <laughs> ah, sh- crap. Um, okay, well, get the Olympics then. <laughs> Which well, that won't be till like 2040. Well, better figure it out. Oh, man. But speaking of Adam Silver, it's actually a good, a good segue to the NBA playoffs. And we've got a round two now that is completely set. The Grizzlies take care of the uh, Timberwolves in six games. Surprisingly enough, no Game 7s in Round 1. All the series ended in six or less games. You've got, uh, just running it down, I think the Heat won in five. The Celtics obviously swept. Um, Sixers won in six. Yeah, Sixers, Sixers almost went to seven. and then they Bucks came in, won in five. Bucks in five, yeah. Grizzlies in six. Yep. 
um, Warriors in five. Yeah. Suns in six. And I'm missing. Oh, um, what was the four or five in the West? Oh, uh, Jazz and six. Or excuse me, Mavericks and six. Yeah. Sorry, Jazz fans. Uh, Jazz, Jazz wished it was in six, but yeah. not so fast. Um, the Jazz, man. I I was watching most of that game on Thursday, and I thought for a while the Jazz were going to pull it off. Well, Bogey uh, Bogdanovich had a wide open, or Bogon Bogdanovich. Or one of, there's like three Bogdanovich. One of the Bogdanoviches um, had a wide open three and completely blew it. And it just it reminded you see Mitchell Donovan Mitchell's reaction was very similar to uh, um, the fans that remember the NBA bubble mm-hmm. two years ago. Mike Conley was coming down, had a wide open three. Um, it goes in and out, and you just see Mitchell kind of like it hit him that the season was over, and some very similar thing happened uh, um, just a few nights ago um, when he missed that wide open three. And he's a great three point shooter, so he got a really good look. I mean, you couldn't have gotten a better look, and you probably couldn't have giving the ball to someone better on the team. Um, Mitchell is an extremely clutch player, but, you know, Padanovich, again, is one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. So they got the look. They Everything was, I think, perfect or went perfect on them for that last possession, but the ball just did not go in. So and that's that's the reality for the Jazz. I mean, um, we, we've, we've talked about them before and what they should do this offseason, but now they're in a position where I think you have to sit down with Donovan Mitchell – because you obviously don't want to get rid of Mitchell. Like, you want to just try and put the best supporting cast around him for them to succeed. But you have to sit down with Mitchell and ask him what he wants. And then you as a front office has to really sit there and evaluate what this team needs. Because to me, what they what they lack is a, a strong defensive presence on, um, at least from their wings. I mean, you have it from um, Rudy Gobert, but I think you need that from one of your wings. And you need a a solidify a leader like a glue guy every team has like a glue guy for boston it's marcus smart or al horford for clippers it's probably marcus morris senior um for uh the the Suns, it's obviously chris paul um the heat it's jimmy like everyone has that guy and for utah it's not donovan mitchell unfortunately it's not rudy gobert and it's not Royce O'Neal it's like they don't have that leader um so I feel like they need that leader and um they need a Quinn Schneider has done a fantastic job but they need a coach very similar to Ime Adoga because I think that's just the way the NBA is going um Quinn Schneider would be a great NBA coach 10 20 years ago uh, especially for a team like the Utah Jazz but I mean you saw what happened to Brad Stevens I think the little basketball guru X and O's things isn't really going to work anymore um, you need a coach that um, is going to probably put his best players in a position to succeed, like a Ime Udoka or what people thought Steve Nash would do. You know, so I or that's why Mark Jackson is kind of starting to get attention a little bit more, and he's a finalist for the Lakers and Kings job. So I think that's the kind of coach they need, and they need that strong veteran leader um, on their team as well. But nothing like yeah, I mean they lose they lose in the first round or the second round like they always do. So. Um, Dallas now goes on to face Phoenix, which I think will be a very fun series. And uh, you look Memphis handling uh, Minnesota in a series that Minnesota arguably should have won. It's, it feels like Minnesota should be up 5-1 in this series right now, but they collapse in the fourth quarter of almost every single game. Uh, so Memphis will play Golden State. I, 
I love Memphis. They're fun to watch. Um, I really want to root for them. But, I mean, if if Minnesota is giving you trouble, um, Golden State's going to deal with them in about five games, I think. This will not be a very long series, um, which sucks because, you know, I really wanted to see the Grizzlies make a really strong run, but they're not going to get past Golden State. Um, Golden State had a kind of a rocky second half to the year, but once the playoffs came around, they've kind of flipped the switch, and I think they'll continue to do that. Um, and on the eastern side, Boston, Milwaukee, whoever wins this series, I think will will win the NBA Finals. Um, give the defending champs against one of the hottest teams in the league right now. So I'm going to be biased, and I'm going to say Celtics in six. I'm not going to have no shame in admitting that, but uh, Scott Foster is the ref for Game One today. So oh boy, we'll just see. We'll just see what Scott oh Foster boy. has to say about that exactly. And if Tony bothers officiate some games too, then it's really done for Boston. But uh, that'll be another great series. And then the last one, you have Miami and, and Philadelphia. And Miami's going to be, or excuse me, Philadelphia is going to be without their best player in Joel Embiid. So this could be a, a very strong oppor- or good opportunity for Miami to um, advance and, and play uh, either Boston or Milwaukee in the Eastern Finals. And Miami would make their second Eastern Finals in three years. So the path for them is kind of now wide open. Um, you had Philly standing in the way, but... Without Joel Embiid, I don't think I don't think James Harden and Tyrese Maxey are going to be able to uh, take down the one seed and beat Miami by themselves. Yeah, I'm really excited for this round of the playoffs. It's we're getting better matchups. Um, admittedly, I'm not upset that Dallas won in six games, uh, being somebody that was somewhat financially committed to Dallas in Game Six. Um, I was holding my breath on that shot. I thought when Bagdanovich had the open three look at the end, I thought that's going to be the shot that everyone talks about. And it clanked off the rim, thankfully. And Dallas closed out in game six. Um, I thought for sure we would get a game seven in one of the series in, in round one. I thought, I thought it would be the, the Memphis series. Yeah. I, I thought, if I mean, one of those series had to go seven – but surprisingly, none of them went seven. They all ended in six or less. And um, I, I think now moving forward, like I said, this is going to be a really good round. It's going to be a competitive round, I think. Um, you know, you look around and you go, you know, Bucks celtics I think, is going to be an interesting series. It got the potential to go to at least six, maybe even seven games. Um, if the Sixers had Joel Embiid, I would say that's an interesting series. Not having Joel Embiid, I think, makes this at most a six-game series, but it wouldn't even shock me if Miami took care of him in five. Miami is really good defensively, and if you can take even James Harden alone out of the game and make um, Tyrese Maxey beat you by himself, okay, like, you know, Miami's going to have pretty easy work with the Sixers. The Warriors and the Grizzlies, I mean, yeah, I... I get everybody's falling in love with the Grizzlies and they love the story and it's a great story. I mean, the the Grizzlies I think if they were not the 2 seed might have a chance to get to the NBA or to the Western Conference Final and maybe even the finals. But the fact that they're the 2 seed and they drew the Warriors who quite frankly they have the potential to win it all, right? The series or not the series but rather this playoff as a whole. I think the Warriors make a very strong case to winning the entire thing because they just 
they're playing really well right now. They they shoot the ball incredibly well. So Jordan Poole's having a fantastic year. Yeah, as well. yeah. I was say Jordan Poole's having a breakout season. Their their wings are what kind of thing what makes the most deadly is in, in Clay and Jordan Poole. Yeah, and not to I mean not to mention you've still got Steph Curry who can hit it from quite literally half court on a regular basis, and so you have I think there's too many threats to worry about with the Warriors, too many to overcome for the Grizzlies. I think if you're looking at it from a game one and a series perspective, I think Golden State takes game one today, and they probably win this in five. Granted, it's going to be a tough five because um, Memphis has the home court, so maybe that pushes it to six, but I don't think this gets past the sixth game, especially with game six being in Golden State. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll take the Warriors in that series. I'm trying to think, and then Celtics. Mm, I, I, I a tough series. I want to make the case so bad for the Bucks, but I think the Chris Middleton injury is going to catch up to Milwaukee. I know it hasn't really plagued them all that much. They're also playing a terrible Chicago. I was going to say season. also go look back, go and look back who they played in round one. It was Chicago who quite literally just kind of limped themselves into the first round anyway. They didn't play very well to end the regular season. So Well, another interesting thing about um, Chicago is Zach Levine said um, he's going to have an open mind in free agency. And before the year, very, very, not exactly a Kyrie-like situation, but before the season, you know, he was like, you know, I don't really want to leave. He loved Billy Donovan. They had, well, because they were winning and everything. Yeah. So obviously morale was a little bit higher. Um, but now he's gonna have an open mind uh, going into free agency, and that's Zach Levine is, um, I think, one of uh, Bradley Beal's up there. Kyrie Irving, I think, will end up staying in Brooklyn. Um, but I, I'd prefer to have Zach Levine on my team over Bradley Beal just because of what Zach Levine can do for you defensively. But um, that's a that's a big time free agent potentially gonna be in the class, and that's uh, somebody a lot of Laker fans think they're gonna end up getting, but. With what money? So we'll see where he ends up. But I think I thought that was just another interesting thing while we were talking about the Bulls that he kind of flipped a little bit because that was someone everyone really expected to stay in Chicago and that nobody was really going to pursue. But now he's going to head into free agency and he's going to get interest for a lot of teams. Yeah. And then the one series I don't know if we touched on yet could be somewhat interesting. Suns and the Mavs. Um we could potentially see Devin Booker back in the series. Uh, I don't know if he's going to get the green light for game one, but Devin Booker missed the majority of round one with the hamstring injury. And then I I think, I mean, hamstrings are always tough to kind of gauge when a guy is going to be back or not. Some are back quicker than others. If Devin Booker comes back, let's say game three of the series, I think the Suns make a very good case to win the series, but probably in six games. I think if Phoenix can just maintain with the Mavs, because I think without Devin Booker, the Mavs pose an interesting matchup because you do have Chris Paul, but you also have the the size of Luka on the other side with the Mavs. Maybe it's enough to have a 1-1 split after the first two games. And then if Devin Booker comes back and he's cleared to play, I, I think then the the Suns start turning it back on and uh, they inevitably get to the Western Conference Final and play what I believe is going to be the Warriors, which 
by the way, I mean, look, not looking too far ahead, but if you get Suns-Warriors in the Western Conference Final, that is a great series. I mean, I, I that would be the one if out of all the series we've seen, whether it's round one, this round, even looking at next round, potentially, that would be a seven-game series, the Suns and the Warriors. Yeah. Because both just, they have their strengths, and I think they they play to each other's almost weaknesses. Like, I think Phoenix is a good defensive team, which could cause problems for the Warriors, but the Warriors, they can spread out the Suns, and you know, and the Warriors themselves are not that bad of a defensive team. So it could be an interesting low-scoring seven-game series, um, which if that's the Western Conference Final, I mean, deservingly so. It should be a six- or seven-game series that people are interested in. Um, any thoughts when it comes to Suns-Mavs? Um, I think this will be another, yeah, like you said, a six, seven-game series. Um, you have two talented players in Luka Dantej and, and Devin Booker in this, and you also have two great guards that have played phenomenal through the playoffs so far in Brunson and Chris Paul. So I think I think these teams are about as equally matched as you can get, and um, this this could be our first seven-game series, I think. Um this I think this will be the best second round series out of them all because it's just it's a really fun it's it's the most fun uh, matchup out of them all because Boston and Brooklyn although that those are probably the, that's probably like the most talented matchup if that makes sense mm-hmm. Scott Foster is going to ruin it and there's going to be a lot of like BS officiating on both sides like there's going to be games where you know Boston's getting some BS calls and there's going to be games where Milwaukee's getting some BS calls so I think the officiating will really ruin that series for me and a lot of other fans. But that that Suns Mavericks fan, or excuse me, that Suns uh, Mavericks series, I can't see a whole lot going wrong there. I just see a lot of back and forth. You know, I don't think I don't think no team in the series wins back to back games. It'll be just once one team picks off one, another team picks off another, and it'll continuously go till we get to to Game Seven, which Wait. will be in Phoenix. Yeah, I'm, I'd be excited for a Game Seven. It'd be the first Game Seven we've seen in these playoffs. And a team, not necessarily in the NBA, but isn't going to be in the playoffs is the Golden Knights. The Golden Knights, first time in their short five-year franchise history, have missed the NHL playoffs. And, uh, you know, this year they'll be watching it from home. And I, I've i said it for probably the last two or three weeks, and I still think it's going to happen I think a nuclear bomb is going to come to this franchise, and we're going to see a lot of new faces coming into next season. Um, I think you have to start looking at a new GM because, I mean, for what it's worth, Kelly McCrimmon has not shown to be the brightest bulb in the in the in the box. Because, I mean, you look at this season; he tried to trade a guy that he wasn't allowed to trade. Like he tried to get rid of Dedanoff at the trade deadline. And he didn't even realize that there's a no-trade clause to the team that he was trying to ship him off to. To me, that's that was the one that really got, kind of broke the Campbell's back in a sense that I saw that and was like, yeah, this guy definitely has to go. Um, you literally you literally don't, don't have any idea what you're doing at that point because— And now everybody knows. Even Rob Palinka, I think, knows— uh, who who he's available to trade and who he's not available to trade. So well, that whole thing as it, a GM, that's your job, like to know, to know your cap room and to know um, deals you're able to do and, and how you're able to maneuver the roster. And you know, you you know what your team's limits are. That's like every, that's like bare minimum. 
Not even like performing and and bringing in the right talent, but bare minimum, you know what you can and can't do. Pretty much, that's literally bare minimum. GM one hundred and one, and he apparently doesn't even know how to do that. So on like, top of put together a proper team and go what ten million dollars over the cap. Yeah, I mean, when it came to the whole trade thing, that that felt elementary like to me. It's like you're telling me you don't even have one or maybe a group of entry-level people that maybe just came into the Golden Knights, um, shoot, maybe an intern for that matter, that can sit down and look at all the contracts and, you know, freaking put a Excel spreadsheet together of, hey, here's all the players and here's where they can't go. If, they're, if the teams aren't on this list, you can trade them away. Um, I mean, just basic elementary crap that they failed to overlook or they did overlook and they just failed to realize. But... Yeah, I think going over $10 million over the cap, that, I mean, that's been more of a problem the Knights have had for years now. They've always. It's not a problem when you win, but it is an issue when you don't even make the playoffs. Yeah. And they've seemingly had salary cap problems for what feels like the last three or four years where they always are either right at the cap or they go over somehow. Um, but they got to a point where they. They had guys that were healthy, but they couldn't play them because they had to work around the salary cap and find different loopholes here and there. And I mean, quite frankly, the team just underperformed. And I think the team, um, you could sense the air kind of coming out of the balloon when they traded Marc Andre Fleury. Um, that's kind of where I felt like the dominoes started to fall. Uh, but you could tell the team played for Fleury and they respected him. And you could sense there's a different energy on the ice when. He was in that compared to what they had this year, which was mainly Robin Leonard, um, albeit there was some help from uh, Laurent Brassois and Logan Thompson. But for the majority of the games, it was Robin Leonard in that. And I, I think the, the team responded better to Fleury than they did with Robin Leonard. And that showed this year. Um, for one, Marc-Andre Fleury is in the playoffs with the Minnesota Wild. And ironically enough, I mean... I. I said it when it happened, I guess this was on Wednesday, that funny how the Golden Knights season comes to an end at the hands of the Chicago Blackhawks, kind of the team that really started the entire downfall, if you will, when the Knights traded Flurry to the Blackhawks. And now you look at it and the loss to Chicago on Wednesday officially sealed up their any hope that they had of making the playoffs for the Golden Knights and... I think it's going to be an interesting offseason. Um, it's going to be interesting to see more so how Vegas responds to the adversity because, like we mentioned, this is a team that this is their first year missing the playoffs in five years. Vegas is used to this Golden Knights franchise being in the NHL playoffs and contending for the Stanley Cup. They're not going to have that this year. And if the Vegas fan base operates how Joey and I have known it for years to operate as, there's going to be a lot of, I think, overreaction and there's going to be a lot of calls for people to be fired. And maybe some that don't even really deserve to be fired, but that's kind of how the Vegas fan base, as sports fan base as a whole, operates. If you have a bad season, um, it's just fire everybody and start over. Right. Um they're, they're bound to miss the playoffs at some point, and I think the biggest issue with this team, especially in the later part of the season, was you can't close out games. They couldn't close out games. 
They had a 4-2 lead against San Jose, which was all too familiar, um, blowing the lead in San Jose in the third period down the stretch there, which is exactly what happened. Um, you go to Dallas, you lose in a shootout, and then they lose in another shootout after Dallas to not St. Louis, not – was it Chicago? It was Chicago. Mm-hmm. To Chicago. So um, just a lot of things they like that. Um, you got to be able to close out games. When you go to shootout, you can't be uh, – um, what was it? O for seventeen. They went O of seventeen in their last like those last three shootout games when the yeah didn't, yeah. Ha- didn't have a shootout goal in the last three games of the year. Yeah, which was well seventeen attempts yeah. and they went O of seventeen, which is yeah. um, terrible. So they've always been one of the worst power play teams in the league as well. So that's another thing that's kind of been bugging them for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, like 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 Matt said about the GM, um, you'd think he has to go and. Knowing knowing your team's um, what, what your team what your team can and cannot do is is literally bare minimum, and uh, the fact that he did not know that speaks volumes. And um, we'll see what Vegas does this offseason. You're ten million dollars over the cap, and you didn't make the playoffs. So um, to say, um, the, the they'll they'll be making a lot of moves this offseason, and there'll be a lot of changes to this team. And if you thought Mark Andre Fleury and losing uh, Reeves was a big change, which Still kind of hurts because I really feel like the team lost their their identity and their personality, especially with losing Reeves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're going to be in for a real treat uh, this offseason. So pretty much, I mean, Vegas fans aren't going to know um, players on the team anymore if they trade Marsha Sultan and, and Carlson because then at that point, I mean, none, none of these uh, none of these fans that you see on, on Twitter and Facebook are going to know uh, – um, they knew Flurry, and then they, they knew Flurry. Yeah, that's exactly. They they they, they know Flurry. You, you ask them about the Golden Knights, and they're like, "Oh, Flurry," and you're like, "No, well, he's not on the team anymore." So if you get rid of uh, Marshall Salt and 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 Carlson, oh boy, they're not gonna they're gonna have to go through the roster and start memorizing name or memorizing names. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, a little disappointing, but it was bound to happen at some point, and uh, hopefully. Next season, which is definitely going to be tough too, um, they still can get the support from the community. And uh, the, like like me and Matt said before, the good thing out of all this is really cheap tickets next season. So I'm here for to, it. You'll be able to go to a few Golden Knights games. Yeah, they'll they'll probably lose like two to nine or or uh, seven to zero. But hey, you're at an NHL game for the affordable price of probably like eighteen dollars. I will say to, to the Knights' credit, take everything away from off the ice. Or on the ice, rather, the in-game like experience at T-Mobile Arena still pretty good. Like yeah. it's still enjoyable. They still come up with creative ways to keep fans engaged. So, I mean, from an entertainment perspective, it's still pretty good. And um, I, I do think if you fire the GM, I think that naturally has to put a guy like Pete DeBoer a little bit on the hot seat because. You know, depending on if they, you know, if they bring in a new GM and maybe that GM doesn't like Pete DeBoer or um, doesn't want to go with the direction that maybe Pete DeBoer wants to as a head coach, uh, we we could be also talking about a new head coach in the the Vegas seat, and you know, even some players could be on the move for that matter. I mean, I, I could see a move where Vegas tries to ship off Robin Leonard um, for one because of cap space, and two because I think the team just realizes that. Um, they're not that great with Robin Leonard. I mean, they're okay, but um, he's not. Robin Leonard is not a guy that's going to necessarily change life for the Vegas Golden Knights, and um, that's why I more so just think there's going to be a lot of 
new faces, especially if they they fire the GM Kelly McCrimmon. Um, that's we talked about, or at least I talked about earlier, um, the domino effect when they traded away Flurry. I think we could see another domino effect if the Golden Knights decide to fire Kelly McCrimmon, the GM, because then that could be that could start putting you know guys on you know the hot seat and getting them nervous, such as the head coach Pete DeBoer, Robin Leonard, maybe some other guys on the roster. So. Yeah. Gonna have to wait and see. Again, it's gonna be a really interesting off season, and um, definitely going to be one that I think a lot of fans in Vegas pay attention to pretty closely. But we appreciate you guys tuning into today's episode of the Back and Forth Podcast. You can catch Joey and I on the radio tomorrow night, Monday night, six to seven p.m. on the Rebel HD Two for the Back and Forth Radio Show. As a reminder, you can follow the show on Twitter at BackForthPod. Instagram is at BackForthPodcast. You can find this wherever you get your audio podcasts, that being Spotify, Apple Podcasts, plenty more there. And we appreciate you guys uh, supporting the podcast, listening, uh, giving feedback, all that. Um, Make sure, like we said, you're following those social media accounts, particularly Instagram, by the way, because uh, we've gotten in the habit now of, you know, making posts and alerting you guys when a new episode drops. So kind of be on the lookout for that. And uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. We will talk to you guys on the radio on Monday night and have a great rest of your weekend.